The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. What is up, Bengals fans? It is Listener Questions Live Friday afternoon, Friday morning for some. Happy to have you with us. I'm Anthony Cazenza on the Orange and Black Insider and through CincyJungle.com. Joined, as always, John Sheeran. How you doing, bud? Getting the getting the weekend kicked off the right way, right? Yeah, a long weekend, I guess. You know, it was the first time in a while where I was like, what day is it? <laughs> no, I think I, I think that was how most people were in the beginning of the pandemic. But uh, like it was Thursday, and like it feels like a Tuesday. But it is Friday. We got a three day weekend ahead, and we got some questions to answer. Yeah, the blurriness of what day of the week it is, kind of from twenty twenty, has bled into twenty one. That is for sure. We do have a number of questions already to get to. Uh, some tweeted at John yesterday on a uh, on a request for some questions. We've got some more in a live thread going on cincyjungle.com there's a post there so check it out there if you're joining us on youtube you can submit it in the live chat there if you're joining us on cincy jungle's facebook page you can submit them there on twitter at bangles obi we'll be keeping an eye there via email the ob insider at gmail.com and then of course you can call or text us 949-542-6241 i'm gonna let you bat lead off to use a baseball pun on a football podcast john I'm going to let you bat lead off. Where are we going first? All right, we'll go with the first question that was submitted to me on Twitter yesterday. And anytime you guys want to submit questions, at John2 underscore Sheeran or at Anthony's Twitter as well. We got a tweet from LowCashCat272. He says he enjoys our content because we're knowledgeable and we're ruthless. But what are our thoughts on Jonah Williams moving forward as a starter? And his is his leg back to 100%? Well, my feelings, I mean, we have to take into account that, I mean, basically this this year was his rookie year. And then again, it was cut short. Um, and not only did he not have the benefit of training camp and preseason games last year, it's not like he played like a couple of games last year, had a lot of practices and all of that. He had nothing last year. He had basically spring workouts and that was it. And then they shut him down. Then this year, there's no training camp, no preseason, and then he gets thrown into a starting lineup again this year, left tackle, one of the most important positions on a football team. He had some ups and downs, John. I, I think there's a lot of potential there. I, I would not 
I don't want to say I would I would not be surprised, but I don't know if there are internal conversations, especially if Panay Sewell, I know we've got some questions on him. I don't know if there are internal conversations of maybe maybe Jonah moves to right tackle. Maybe there's an inside, you know, there's a guard conversation happening. I, I don't I don't foresee that happening. I think they like him at left tackle overall. And by the time you start moving guys around, it's like, well, uh, how much good is that? Is that doing more good than harm or vice versa? Look, I, I I think he's got a lot of talent. I think he's a great technician. He's a great student of the game. That's what the Bengals loved about him coming out of the draft. Um, the, the injuries just, it, it's bothersome. It really is bothersome. And unfortunately, this has kind of been the stigma of the team really since it's downhill slide after 2015, not only free agency attrition, but injuries to very important players. So I, I think when he's out there and he gets more reps and he gets more game experience, I'm confident in the guy. Again, his, his game time has been very limited, but it's the injury thing that really scares me. Yeah, I think so him being injured um, at Alabama in his rookie year and now ending the season on injury, it's not great. And sometimes it doesn't really bode well going forward with players like that. But apparently I think um, his injury is not, to, to be worried about at least the one that he suffered in December, he should be hundred percent right. fine for spring camp, whatever, but wherever he lines up, whether it's a left tackle, whether it's a right tackle, or it's one of the guards, I think you, you can just be confident in him because he is a good player. He's been a good player since he showed up and started as a true freshman for Alabama. He's just going to succeed wherever he is. And like you said, he didn't have a true off season back to back, you know, you know, no training camp in either one. And he debuted against Joey Bosa and had his struggles, but I mean, that's, that's just the nature for any um, rookie or first-year offensive tackle in the NFL. They're going to have struggles against good competition. It's very rare for a guy like Tristan Wurst of Tampa Bay to produce like a Pro Bowl player, but he'll be fine. You know, he was he was definitely good enough to warrant confidence in keeping him at left tackle, but wherever he goes, depending on who they add, he's, he's going to be a good player. Yeah, I appreciate the question and the compliment there. Uh, obviously, he's talking about the true talent of the show, John Sheeran, in terms of the compliment not myself, but appreciate the the feedback there on Twitter. We've got one via email from the UK, John. Um, I thought this was a really, really neat one. Daz from the UK emails us. Uh, Greetings, John and Anthony. Love the show and love Cincy Jungle. Wanted to get that out of the way first. Thanks, Daz. Appreciate it. The Bengals clearly have needs on the offensive line. This is a little long, so I'm going to try and, and get through it. Need depth at wide receiver. Gr- Green and Ross surely are both gone. Not a lot in the cupboard after Higgins and Boyd, if we're honest about it. Need depth on the D-line. Let's assume we have two healthy defensive tackles, as I don't think Geno goes anywhere with a uh, new D-line coach on the staff. And an edge rusher, Lawson isn't a lead or even Pro Bowl alternate. We have holes at cornerback, needing depth even if Alexander signs and Will, Will Jackson is contracted. Linebacker could also do with some talent. With all that in mind, assuming we're not trading down from five in the draft nor trading up, um, what's the order of priority for players in the offseason under what will be a reduced cap? Will it be to get Lawson and William Jackson under reasonable deals, add a cheap free agent offensive lineman or defensive lineman, then best player available in rounds one and two? Um, And thanks for answering the question, Daz, from Exeter, Devin in the UK. Lot there, lot to digest. I guess it's, you know, in, in kind of a, a nutshell, what what should be some of the Bengals' top priorities, or or if you have them in order, what were what would be some of those priorities based on the names that were listed there in the email? People, or I guess reports, have been that they're not going to spend as much as they did last year, and they don't really need to. 
But if they're going to spend it, it has to be on offensive line. Like that has, they have to have at least two starters that they can be confident in going into the draft. And then you can do whatever you need to in the draft to, I guess, solidify that. But O-line comes before anything. You know, you have to make sure that this offense is prepared to compete with Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and other quarterbacks that you're going to be facing in 2021. Like that, that's their best chance of succeeding in 2021. And Zach Taylor knows that he's, he's on the hot seat entering the season and he needs to compete and he needs to get wins. That's their easiest path, path to success. Um, I, I think with Lawson and Jackson, it, it seems like Lawson, I guess, would be the higher priority because he's younger and he, and he plays a position that they don't have any depth in. And I guess the, the same could be said for cornerback, but it seems like it seems like with with Will, it's going to be they're going to have a price for him, and they're not really going to budge off that. If someone tries to outbid them, then they're going to let let him go to a new team. But with Lawson, I think they're going to be more determined to bring him back. Then you have guys like you know Mackenzie Alexander, Mike Daniels, maybe coming back on one year deals and to try to get to get as much depth there on defense as possible. But O line before everything, and maybe you add a receiver in there as well. Yeah, with Andy Dalton in the as the Bengals quarterback, it was. Get him a lot of offensive skill position players. Yeah, bulk up the offensive line, but get him the offensive skill position players to elevate him because, you know, he's he's good enough, but not really a guy that elevates play of a lot of players around him. With Joe Burrow, I think the argument is opposite, and you can flip that on its head a little bit and say, let's go with the old school mantra. Let's build the line in front of him, and he will make, you know, if you build both of those lines, the skill position, the outside boundary players will probably – shine a bit more with better protection and or a better pass rush if we're talking on defense cornerbacks play a little better with an with an increased pass rush so I, I agree with you I think both lines need to be of paramount importance this year even though I would like the Bengals to invest at, at wide receiver I've said it I don't even know how many times now four impending free agents at the position group they need some they will need some help there um you know, it, and it depends on what they're willing to spend in free agency. It, and it, there's a weird dichotomy, John, because it's like invest in the defensive line. They need to get a pass rush. They need to get a pass rush. Oh, but they got to get rid of. They got to get out of that Geno Atkins contract. They got to free up the space to get some offensive line. You know, who knows how Geno's going to come back this next year? Maybe, maybe he's healed up and he will be a monster. Whether it's beef, whether it, it will be for the Bengals or for somebody else, but. Um, you know, there's a lot of moving parts. William Jackson, to me, is a very good corner, but he, he's a very frustrating player to evaluate in a lot of ways because low low completion percentage allowed. He's got the length. He's got the speed. He's got the cover skills, but there's just maddening stretches of dropped interceptions that are easy plays to make. And then there's the injury history, too. So it's like, well, is the franchise tag the best move to make there? It's a lot of money for one year there, but it is kind of a little bit of a prove it and or a bridge option if the Bengals decide to get a corner in the draft. So th- those are kind of some of my thoughts in terms of priorities, but I, I think I agree with you for the most part in terms of shoring up those lines. Yeah, I think the transition tag is also an option for Will because that allows another team to match it and if if they feel so inclined to. Uh, Jake, let's go in the comments section. We are reading all comments, Jake. That's how the streamer works. Uh, so everyone say hi to Jake. We are re- listening to the chat. We have one from Daniel Thomas on Facebook, and we're going to combine this with a text from 513. It's essentially asking, do you think the defensive leaders have quit on Lou Anarumo? Do you blame him for the decline of William Jackson III? And the text says, why is Captain Lou back? Um, Anthony, you want to take this? Captain Lou is back for a handful of reasons. I think not only because Zach Taylor probably vouched for him and or pounded the table for him, there is a relationship there. I think that 
the Brown family being who they are and what we've seen from them in years past when there is a late in a, in a season that is lost when there's a late season rally and or good performances by certain facets of a team and or coaches seem to rally the troops, if you will. Uh, the Pittsburgh game, I think, saved a lot of people's jobs. I, I just I really, truly believe that. And, and granted, it's just one win. It was it was an important win for the Bengals, even in a lost season. But I think that saved a lot of people's jobs. I am surprised that Lou Anarumo did stick around, though, based on the Carlos Dunlap situation, the fact that the Bengals ended the year on a historically bad note on that side of the ball. But I, I think that this is a patient franchise. This is a patient ownership group. And they realized that Lou Anarumo – for all of his shortcomings, he was handcuffed a bit because of the injuries, never got to see what his vision or the team's vision of DJ Reader, Geno Atkins next to each other, rotate in Mike Daniels, have William Jackson, Trey Waynes, and Mackenzie Alexander all on the field at the same time. That that never really came to fruition because of injuries. It's an embedded excuse. It's there's some weaknesses to that excuse, but I think those are the reasons, at least in my opinion, as to why Luana Rumo is still around. Yeah, I think the people who know me know that I'm not Luna Romo's biggest fan personally or professionally. Um, but yeah, I think the fact that the defense, despite the injuries, you know, they kept them competitive when Burrow went down. And it's a lot of the same stories, stuff that we see basically every year. You know, this team kind of improves as a bad season wears on against bad competition. And ultimately, I don't think he's, I guess, a long term answer there. But you know, this coaching staff, for the most part, is going to be on the hot seat in 2021. And I think, you know, we talked about it before uh, a couple weeks ago when it was announced that all the, all three coordinators and Zach would be back. Like, they're all just in the same boat together. You know, they're going to make some marginal improvements, including Frank Pollock, on the coaching staff. But this is Zach's vision. This is his plan. And they're going to see it through the end. And the end may be after 2021. But also, I don't think that... Um, if anything, Luna Rose elevated the secondary, and that's including William Jackson the third. And Football Outsiders did a great uh, analysis of separating the DVOA between like the secondary and the in the pass rush, and found that the Bengals had like one of the best defenses in regards to just the secondary carrying the team despite the lack of pass rush, and that includes William Jackson having a solid 2020. Obviously, Jesse Bates pro- progressing to a should be first team All Pro level. Von Bell producing as well, along with Mackenzie Alexander. So. You know, Anaruma was a secondary coach, and that's that's what that was his strength, and that was the strength of this defense. So he, he deserves some credit for that. And yeah, like the Carlos Dunlap situation, there was Sean Williams and um, D- Darius Phillips who who made some comments to comments too about, I guess, the lack of leadership. Like that's yeah. it's unfortunate, and it's not something that you want. But there's also stuff about you know Jesse Bates improving his communication with Anaruma, and that's something that they can kind of. Uh, hang their cap on so at, at the end it obviously i'm not having a lot of confidence in a room even with a lot of those guys back but it, it makes sense kind of why he's back based on how they did and the like you said anything like the drum dub excuses for him yeah and you and i spoke a few episodes ago i think on you know the fact that the brown family loves continuity at the coaching that's why marvin lewis for the ups and downs there, he stick, stuck around for so long. They like continuity. They've, they've, Mike Brown has publicly talked about the Steelers and their continuity at head coach and as to why that he believes that's a big reason for their success. Um, and then there's also, John, like we talked about, you know, this team may want to see this coaching staff either sink or swim together. So at least it's major parts. And, um, you know, when you kind of dismantle certain areas of it, but keep the head coach in place, how effective is that strategy? So, um, I, I think that may be some of the line of reasoning here. We got a text from another 513 area code. 
with AJ and John Ross more than likely leaving wide receiver is going to be a need. What do you think about trying to bring in Corey Davis and or Curtis Samuel in free agency? Yeah, we also got a question about like any potential free agent targets in, in for wide receivers and free agency. I think those two are definitely options that they should consider. I think with Davis, you're kind of investing at the right time because he took a little bit to ascend to where he is now. And he had a good chance of being like an all pro nominee at receiver. He was like fourth in yards per hour run. He was very valuable in that Titans offense. I think uh, Davis would be someone that they should be interested in, depending on how much he, I guess, gets in the market. Um, it, it's a deep receiver, a free agent class, and Davis is just one of those guys. I like looking at the free agents in terms of who's played the most uh, this season. Like Marvin Jones for the, for the Lions, you know, former Bengal. Obviously, it could be a connection and a reunion there. Um, a guy that I would look at is Josh Reynolds, who I know the Athletic guys have tabbed as a possible uh, guy that they signed. He obviously worked with Zach Taylor with the Rams as when Taylor was the assistant receivers coach Samuel, he's an option too. It just depends on, I guess what they're really looking for in a receiver, but they need someone to replace, you know, the, the involvement that AJ green had in this offense, at least this past year, like green didn't produce obviously, but he still had a ton of targets. He was on the field for most of the time. So that's, that's a big role for them to fill. And I think they're going to look at free agency to at least try to fill that before the draft. Yeah. What's interesting to me is what, what are they going to want? Are they going to want, the speedy option type of type of player, a gadget type of player. Are they going to want more of what they have or have had in the last couple of years in terms of the taller, more physical receivers? The bet, you know, when you look at who Zach Taylor has brought in inter- at, at the position in the last couple of off seasons, you look at Mike Thomas and you look at T Higgins, two kind of bigger, more physical, you know, guys that can kind of, do some things in the short area of the field. And when you go deep to them, it's more jump ball type of situations or contested catch type of situations. And they like, they like those players that can come down with the ball, the bigger guys like that. So um, I think while we all clamor for, you know, that speedy option, that burner to go deep and stretch the field, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I really don't know if the choice came down to Jamar chase and Devonte Smith. I don't know which one they would take there because, you know, you've got one that can stretch the field with his speed and Smith You've got a guy who can kind of do all the, the more physical aspects of the game in, in chase. And, you know, it would be interesting to see if that's where indeed, where the, if the choice came down to that, where the Bengals would go there. So, um, but good, good question there. And that might be, we might be sitting here saying, oh, you know, they're going to draft a wide receiver, they're going to draft a wide receiver before, you know, night two ends. And, you know, all of a sudden they, they opt to go free agency. And they just, you know, that may be the, the route they go. And then they they invest in an offensive line in the draft more heavily than they do in free agency. So we'll see where that goes. It wouldn't be Friday without Terrell. He joins us on the OBI line. Terrell, are you there? Hey, how y'all doing? Good to I, hear from you, buddy. Fine. How y'all doing? I, uh, I just had to hurry up and call y'all because I'm actually at work, though. But I got <laughs> uh, a few, uh, few minutes and... Just had a uh, holler at my favorite show. I uh, uh, appreciate it, man. I got a few questions uh, real quick. Uh, dang, what I was going to say. Uh, I feel like we cannot settle on and reach in the draft. We can't settle and reach in the draft. I, I don't want another John Ross or Sample in the draft. So uh, I feel like Sewell and Smith is a shooting in. If, if, if it comes down to, like y'all was saying about Chase and uh, Smith, uh, I would prefer Smith because I, I feel like we do need a, a speed guy. We got so many big guys, we do need a speed guy. And um, and another thing, uh, very clear. Uh, what's the what's the coach's 
that's that's filled in and the coaches that's not filled in. And um, my surprise uh, uh, theory to y'all is if if that uh, fall short and, and and wind down, I think we want to go in house and try to make Frank Pilot or Darren Sims the head coach. Well, that's a, that's an interesting interesting theory. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about Sewell because we got a lot of questions about Panay Sewell, especially on the Cincy Jungle comment thread. Terrell, great to hear from you as always. First show of 2021, and we are glad that you joined us. Thanks for cutting out a little time on your on your work shift to, to call in, but I appreciate that. Oh, no problem. You have a great one. All right. Take it easy, buddy. So let's start with the theory of, you know, if there is an interim situation or if there is you know, Zach Taylor stumbles through the first part of the season, you know, is this added? I didn't, I guess I didn't really think about this. Is this added element to Frank Pollock's resume or coaching duties, this run game coordinator? Is that something that potentially lines him up for an increased role if there's a stumble or if Brian Callahan leaves or something to that effect? Is that, do you foresee that coming and then we can talk about the Sewell stuff because I know we've had a lot of questions on that. Um, and I, and then, you know, they did, they did interview Simmons a couple of years ago as well when they interviewed Taylor. Yeah. I think as long as Simmons is here, he's always going to be the first in line to take an interim position like that. I don't think Pollock has ever been more than an offensive line coach in his NFL coaching career. So that would be a monumental jump. Um, and also he doesn't have experience in, I guess, coordinating or designing the pass games. So that would obviously that would, not be ideal. So yeah, I'm not hundred percent sure about that, that Pollock suggestion. I think as long as Simmons is here, he's got first dibs on that. Yeah, I, I agree with you there in terms of Sewell, you know, we did our first mock draft on Wednesday night. We only did a three rounder, but yeah, everybody says he's not going to be there. Everybody, everybody's an expert in saying he's not going to be there. Weird things happen in the draft. Some teams may be turned off about the fact that he didn't play last year for one reason or the other, even if it is an understandable reason. They may say, well, we don't have a year of tape on him now, and he's already a young kid, so they may shy away from that. We, we know the same thing could happen with Jamar Chase, too. Um, so, I mean, teams get a little weird come draft weekend, and they do sometimes they do some unexpected things. Sewell... It may be a little unlikely that he's not there at five, but there's there's a bunch of quarterbacks. And now we've got Urban Meyer in Jacksonville, so we assume he's going to take one of the quarterbacks there, Trevor Lawrence, maybe Justin Fields of Ohio State. Um, so, I mean, strange things have happened. I know we've got a lot of, a lot of questions about Sewell. I mean, I think our mindset the other night, John, was if he's there, don't overthink it. It's it's an area of need and likely it's probably the best player available. Take him. You're muted. And we have no idea what they're gonna do in free agency in terms of you know who they're gonna add and stuff like that. But also I want to get I want to get to Devonta Smith a little bit because I think we oh, can yeah. both agree that he's a great player. And Terrell made an emphasis that the Bengals should take Smith over Chase because they need a deep threat when he just said that um, they shouldn't reach for a guy like John Ross anymore. Um, first of all, I would not be surprised if Jamar Chase runs a faster 40 than Devonta Smith. I think Smith is rumored to be in like the high 4-4-4-5 range. Yeah. And I would, I would, Chase was clocked at 4-4 flat over the summer of 2020, and he's also 20 pounds heavier. So if you're faster and also at a more reasonable NFL weight, I don't know what the argument is for Devonta Smith in that regard. Like, he's 175 pounds. There, there are guys like Deshaun Jackson that have succeeded in the NFL at that weight, but I think 
if you're talking about reaching, that's that's more Devonta Smith than than Jamar Chase in that regard. I, I agree. And as I sit here, I know there's a big debate on that, and we can talk more about that. But um, you know, I am leaning in one camp uh, on between those two guys as as opposed to the other. But I'm I'm a big big Sewell guy. Uh, I know he didn't play this last year, but when he was in there with Herbert. Um, when, when teams knew they were going to be throwing the ball quite a bit, um, that, that kid handled business. He did a lot of different things on the offensive line, moved around in terms of getting to second level and seeking out blocks. And they did, they did a lot of things in Herbert's last year in terms of screen passes and and that sort of thing. He was active in the, in those plays. So, um, you know, I, I, there, there is some concerns about not ha- having tape on a guy for an entire season, but you know, you can also spin it as he's he's healthy, right? I mean, he didn't get hurt last year, and he's been hopefully working out, keeping in shape, and he's got some fresh legs. Maybe that's maybe that's an argument for them. We're going to be here a couple more minutes fielding your questions, whether it's through the live YouTube chat, through the live Facebook chat, the comment thread on Cincy Jungle. We are I, – I didn't – I failed to mention this. We are streaming live on our Twitter account as well at BengalsOBI, so you can submit some questions to us that way via email, theobinsider at gmail.com. And, of course, you can call or text us 949-542-6241. I feel like I stole the last couple, John. So where are we going next? Yeah, so we're going to, I guess, combine a couple questions here. But we're going to uh, derive this one from the Cincy Jungle comments section from Orange Roar. Um, essentially asking, what would it take for the Bengals to get a guy like uh, Joe Tooney or Brandon Scherf? Can they still get a top offensive tackle as well? Essentially asking... How far do you think the front office will go to improve the offensive line and free agency? What are your initial thoughts on that? So I heard a report. I can't remember if it was Elise. Je- I, I should have. I want to properly credit somebody, but I can't remember if it was Elise Jesse or uh, maybe Lauren Failer or I, I can't remember who it was that that put that out there. But they heard some rumors that the Bengals were going to maybe get aggressive. They're they're going to pursue more of a an offensive lineman in free agency and established offensive lineman in free agency, at least one, and then maybe do some other things in the draft. Um, you know, the other, the other thing is with that on the flip side, the Bengals don't really heavily invest in the guard position. We know that they let Kevin Zeitler walk. They let Eric Steinbach walk. The only guy recently that they spent a lot of money on at the guard position. And this is recently is a loose term is Bobby Williams. Um, so, you know, it, they, they just, they, they kind of do these rental deals with some of these guys, Quentin Spain and John Miller, but that was a, a multi-year deal, but they cut it short. Um, so, you know, I, I guard to me is it's very, you know, I, I get a little hesitant to believe that the Bengals are going to throw money at a, at a big time guard um, in free agency. I don't think that doesn't mean they won't do it, but I just get hesitant based on some of the past history. I do think that, you know, the Joe Burrow effect, it's injury, all of that. I think that is going to play a, a pretty big role in what the Bengals do on offensive line and the investments they make. I know you're big on a guy um, for, for the Bengals who's a, a tackle, Taylor Moton, um, that, that could be a decent addition and maybe one that not a lot of people are talking about because we're all obsessing over Joe Tooney and Brandon Scherf. Um, so maybe that's an option too. But, uh, I mean, it, I think they need to attack it both in free agency and the draft. It's just a matter of how much are they willing to spend. We've seen, John, the Baltimore Ravens continue to add piece after piece after piece, whether it's trade and they take on these contracts and the rich kind of get richer. So the Bengals, you know, while they say they can't afford these guys, 
there are ways to get creative and get get quality players in free agency. Yeah, the big question is if they're going to get one of the top guys. And the top guys are realistically Taylor Moden, Brandon Scherf, Joe Tooney. And I, I, like Trent Williams is there, but like he's a left tackle and they just get paid so much more than any other position. So just, that doesn't seem even realistic for their standards of aggressiveness. But I think the number to remember from last year is $40 million. Like the it was thrown out that the Bengals spent like well over a hundred million in free agency last year on, on total value of contracts, but 40 million was the total amount of fully guaranteed money that the Bengals gave to DJ reader, Trey Waynes, Von Bell, Mackenzie Alexander, and like LaShawn Sims. Those were the guys that had guaranteed money in their contracts and it amounted up to 40 million. 40 million is probably slightly more than what a guy like Brandon Scherf or Joe Tooney is going to get. And it might even be less than what Taylor Moden gets. So while I agree with you that like they will obviously value tackle a lot more, that's that we've seen that in their draft history and trading for Cordy Glenn. Like they would prefer to pay a tackle more than a guard, but a guard is going to get a little bit less fully guaranteed money. I think the benchmark is Zach uh, Zach Martin's thirty two million fully guaranteed with the Cowboys from a couple of years ago. Like that's the benchmark that Tooney or and or Scherf is going to try to break. So the Bengals can realistically sign one of those guys and still be slightly less than their total guaranteed money up front that they gave out last year. But obviously the Bengals, you know, they value value. So if they can sign five guys for 40 million up front over like one guy for 35, they would in theory take, you know, the, the, the quantity over the, over the quality. But like you said, Joe Burrow's injury happening because of the bad offense line, because of the negligence there, that is something that can spark a change in that regard. So they can't afford one of them you know, based on just what they did last year and based on how much salary cap space that they have, it's just a matter of if they're going to go that route other than maybe getting like a Daryl Williams who would get significantly less guarantee money or like another, like a low, a low tier guard to just kind of fill those spots and I guess create more flexibility. But like, I think we'd all prefer if they get a top option and it is kind of realistic based off what they did last year. Yeah. And uh, Trent Brown might be on the trading block. That, that might be someone they look at, but that's a hefty contract there. And, We've said this before too, John. It's the Bengals need to find the guy at positions. They need to, they, you know, for the last couple of years, it's been like, well, Michael Jordan kind of has the inside track, but he's got competition. Alex Redmond's in the mix. And I mean, they need to start finding the guy at the spot and, and not these, well, we've got, I mean, I, I like the idea of compete, compete, compete. Don't get me wrong, but that, you know, this, they've been messing around with this too long. They need to start finding, you know, kind of the, the alphas at some of these positions and some of the guys that they have deemed the guy cough, cough, right tackle. They need to be a little bit more open-minded in terms of having some competition there. We've got uh, a few more minutes to get to some more here. So get those at us. There's um, we're going to combine some, at least uh, I think towards the end of the show, we're going to combine some that we see in the, the live comment section on Cincy jungle, but I wanted to, Get to this one um, because he's got a great first name, Anthony, shooting us via email. Uh, why do you think the Bengals have had mixed reviews drafting offensive linemen? They've hit on Whitworth, Zeitler, Steinbach, and hopefully Jonah Williams, but have drafted the same amount of busts. Um, he lumps Andre Smith in there. I don't. I mean, I don't. I wouldn't call Andre Smith a bust. He lasted in no. the league for a long time. I, I guess he didn't live up to number six overall pick. But, um, you know, he was at one point, he was one of the better right tackles in the league. When you look back to 2013, 2014, when he was a couple of years into the league after the injury stuff was behind him. So I wouldn't call Andre Smith a bust, but he lists him there. Obviously, Cedric Abwehi, Jake Fisher and Billy Price. So 
part of this to me, John, and is a little bit of a carousel the last few seasons at the offensive line coach. You know, the, the last handful of seasons, they've had Paul Alexander, they've had Frank Pollock, they've had Jim Turner, now they have Frank Pollock again. Um, so there may be a little bit of difference in philosophies between those guys. I think Paul Alexander pounded the table for Cedric Abwehi and Jake Fisher, and he was just straight up wrong about those guys. Um, and, and Paul Alexander was is no widely known as a respected offensive line coach throughout the NFL. He lasted with the Bengals for a long time. I know we hammered him towards the end of his Bengals career, but I think uh, personal opinion, I think he pounded the table for those two guys and those two guys, be it from injury, lack of desire to play all of those knocks. Uh, it, it really crippled the team. Those are my opinions. What about you? Yeah. And you know, Billy price was drafted when Frank Pollock was here and I, we had a, we had a uh, question from, a 513 area code like why you know they already showed frank Pollock the door once and he didn't really help billy price um but like you said um paul alexander kind of pounded the table for a boy he and fisher and you know all the rumors said that pollock was all in on frank ragnow ragnow was taken right before them and they just kind of went with the second best guy but it, there wasn't as much enthusiasm with drafting billy price as there was with frank ragnow so who knows what what could have happened if they had the chance with that but like with, with any you know bad draft pick and it's, it comes down to just valuing the wrong things. You're not valuing other things enough. And with a boy, he and Fisher, those guys were great athletes and they had great size and they fit in his own scheme, but they didn't have any other prerequisites for what made a successful offensive tackle, a successful offensive tackle with Billy price. You know, you, you've seen the weaknesses, you know, expose themselves in the pro game after he went from Ohio state. He's, Unfortunately, a shorter guy, and he doesn't have a lot of balance in his athleticism, and he has run into trouble as a starter. So there are things that are very evident for these guys in the college game that I think a guy like Pollock, who's been around coaching guys and developing guys like Zach Martin and Travis Frederick and um, Makai Becton, who the the Jets drafted with Pollock there um, just last season, I think he has a better understanding of what to value for guys coming out of the draft, and I think that can help them gain some solidity i guess because they're going to add at least one or two pieces uh at offensive line to the draft this year and, and they, they need to be at the very least quality depth guys that can come in for a pinch and start you know hopefully they have the starting lineup taken care of you know before the draft happens but you know they, they need quality depth at every single position and i think a guy like pollock has a good understanding of what to value uh for those offensive linemen and it's unfortunately something that alexander kind of fell off the cliff there in his last couple of years. And those, those misses still haunt them to this day. Yeah. That man, that draft, <laughs> don't even get me started on that draft class. Oy. Uh, we're going to be here for a couple more minutes, got a couple more questions to field, get them in. We're trying to squeeze in as many as we can from all the different places uh, that we've mentioned before. So get those to us, John, do you have uh, another one that's poking out to you here? Yeah, let's go from, Amistat Knox, I think I'm saying that correctly in in YouTube. Do you think John Ross didn't get to play because Joe Burrow needed to improve his deep ball, and that's basically all John can do? Um, I'm not. I'm maybe I'm not understanding the question. Do you understand? Like what what he's trying to ask? Because I feel like I'm 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 not. I I think the the overarching concept is what the hell's going on with John Ross? What the hell happened with him? Um, And and why didn't he get to play this year with a new quarterback? Um, You know. I, I think the question kind of points to a potential limit, limited skill set from John Ross. I, this, this 
John Ross to me was one of the most disappointing picks for the Bengals because I had really high hopes when they picked him. I saw him at Washington a lot here on the West Coast, and the, he was a dominant college player. He did a, he did things in the screen game early in his career. He did things in the return game. Um, I mean, he he and uh, Dante Pettis were absolute monsters for the Washington offense when they were paired up together. And so when I, when you bring that speed and you already had an AJ Green at the time, you had a Tyler Boyd at the time, I was like, wow, this, this trio is going to be a very, very good trio of wide receivers. And he disenfranchised himself with two different coaching staffs, um, could not stay healthy and in different offensive teams could not find a niche. And he looked like he found a little bit of a niche early last season getting, getting, uh, you know, a couple of nice plays in Seattle. And then the one against San Francisco when that game was out of control, but there's something there that we're not seeing. We're not hearing that has just totally put him at odds with, with this team and, and different coaching staffs. And, you know, I think, I think maybe, Quite honestly, John, if you go back and Matt Minnick did a Chalk Talk episode on our channel reviewing Joe Burrow's plays against the Chargers, it's part one of 10, um, you can see the the miss to John Ross in the end zone in that opening game. And there was questions, maybe was it an overthrow? Was it a lack of effort from John Ross? I don't know if that was an impetus, but there was a lot of decreased playing time. And when he was healthy, healthy scratches from that point on. Yeah, he did all he could to overcome that tumultuous rookie season, playing under a head coach that obviously didn't want him on the team, didn't want to draft him in the first place, dealing with injuries from the combine, injury from the last preseason game of that season. You know, 2017 was just a wash. And then quietly, he had like seven touchdowns in 2018. You know, I, I feel like that gets um, unnoticed, especially with Andy Dalton, like missing half the season. But, you know, he was progressing in the right direction. And like you said, at the start of 2019, he was like, had like 300 receiving yards in the first four games, and then yet another injury. And and then 2020, I guess, was really the last chance under an improved quarterback. How is he going to fit in with these other receivers, with T. Higgins now in the mix? And we just kind of saw it just wasn't working after like the second week. And that's when he was benched for Higgins officially, I think, with with Philadelphia. So, I mean, it was, it was very evident and obvious that he just realized he wasn't a fit there. They wanted or he wanted to be out of there before the trade deadline and I guess they didn't feel like he was worth anything, so they didn't even offer him up to be traded. But yeah, I mean, you're right. He was he was a really good player in Washington. He had the production. He was 20, 21 years old in his last season there. He counted for like 32% of Washington's passing offense. He was obviously an incredible athlete. And maybe if he goes someplace else and doesn't get injured, he has more success. But I think for all of these recent busts for the Bengals in recent draft history, he was legitimately talented and he had legitimate NFL prospects as a college player. But sometimes it, whether it be, you know, a, a bad fit with, with the coaching staff or just injuries, it, it just doesn't work out. And unfortunately for with Ross, it was both. And that's just hard to overcome. I just, I just thought he was, you know, with some of this yards after the catch stuff that Zach was going to implement and all of that, I just really thought that there was going to be a nice niche for him in this offense. And, you know, it, like I said, early last year, it looked like there was that, that was there, but, it didn't, it didn't really progress. And if you remember, John, I, I don't know if you remember this or not, but in the spring, after Zach Taylor was brought in and hired as head coach, there was a rumor mill already swirling mm-hmm. about John Ross being trade bait. And then Zach Taylor kind of had to pull 
supposedly pulled kind of damage control, called John Ross and said, I want you here. I want you part of this team and blah, 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 blah. And then it was all roses and sunshine supposedly from there. So this, this situation with John Ross has been something that has been ongoing for, for a while. And it seems that it's going to come to a, a pretty sad end here this off season. And who knows if he's going to be productive somewhere else. Um, there are, gosh, there, there are a lot of different questions I want to get to on the live chat. A lot of them kind of blend together and, and or we've covered some of these, you know, uh, Nick Sin asks about uh, if Sewell isn't there, what, what about a trade back so we can talk, maybe trade back. Orange Roar talked about really liked your take on Scherf versus Tooney um, on last episode. Uh, what you know, we kind of talked about oh, offensive line. What would it take for the Bengals to get Scherf, and could they still get a top offensive tackle? Um, IN Bengals fan, um, what's your big board specifically? Obviously, no QBs in the first Sewell number one, but then what? Um, and then you've you know, UK Bengals fan, longtime listener from England, love the show. Would would drafting Chase or Devontae Smith indicate that the organization doesn't trust Higgins and Boyd? Um, so a lot of draft stuff here. I guess I, I want to try and get to as many as possible. And, you know, I don't want to, you know, water down all these questions, but a lot of them are kind of interrelated here. I guess for me, I'll start with that Higgins-Boyd question from UK Bengals fan. Absolutely not. It has I, – I, if the Bengals draft a wide receiver at number five, I don't think that has anything to do with a lack of faith in the, uh, in the current wide receivers that they have kept. I think it means that they have addressed offensive line hopefully well in free agency – and they've opened themselves up to best player available and are giving Joe Burrow as many weapons as possible at the skill positions. Then, especially when you've had some of these guys leave, potentially leaving free agency, John Ross, AJ Green, et cetera. Yeah. Like if they take a wide out, they realize that they need someone else along with Higgins and Boyd because they, they're not gonna be able to do it all by themselves. And that's just how the NFL is now. You need three competent receivers starting. And, you know, I think it, it needs to be said that if Green was better, like this offense would have been better, you know. It, it, it there was part of it was on, was on Burrow and his lack of connection there. But you know, if they had a better receiver than Green, you know, maybe the offense does better. I think they should probably realize that and address that in, in some way, shape, or form. But yeah, I don't think either of us have a big board right now. We have barely even yeah. looked at anybody in the draft, and you know, trade down is always popular, and I think they could be in a, in the spot to do so. But it really depends on how many quarterbacks are there. You know, if three get taken in the top five in the top four. That's perfect for the Bengals because they have either a, a Chase or a Sewell available. But if one happens to fall through the cracks, like a Fields or a Wilson, then I guess that's where that conversation starts because I, I don't know why the Bengals would trade down if they have a chance to take Sewell, Sewell or Chase. And it, it just seems at this point that like three quarterbacks are probably going to go there anyway. So I would bet against trade down happening. But I mean, if the offer's right, they're going to be interested. Yeah, and going back to your point about AJ Green, I mean, if you if you want to count 2019 where he didn't take a snap, um, 2020 was his fourth lowest amount of targets, but he still had over 100. He had 104 targets, and he only had 47 catches. Um, so, I mean, that's that's a huge disparity there. And then, of course, you know, the big plays were just not there. Two touchdown catches, 523 receiving yards. Aside from 2019, the lowest amount of yards. Uh, that he's ever amassed as a pro. So yeah, you're. I mean, it, it's on him. It was also on some of the quarterback play as well at times this year. But yeah, I, I don't think it has anything to do with that. Um, I guess to address some of these right here, 
Um, a lot of people are asking about trading back. There's some Rashawn Slater talk. Uh, anything you want to you want to address on that? Yeah, like I feel. I mean, the Bengals could be confident in either Slater or Christian Darisali tackle from Virginia Tech if they still need an offensive tackle. I think they would be in consideration. But it, I mean, it, when you're drafting in the top five, you have more than one need, and obviously, offensive line would be the biggest need, but. You don't always get to have that opportunity. Unfortunately, the Bengals have it back-to-back years. But typically, when you're in the top five, you should just take like the, the, a player that is worth that that selection. And you know, it's I guess it's too early to say if if Slater or Darius are worth that spot. But you know, you, you can't always trade back. Like in a perfect world, yeah, you, you could trade back and take one of those guys and pick up an extra pick or two and still take an offensive tackle that you're confident in. But if you take one of those guys and you're leaving a, another better player on the board that can improve your team, it's just not really taking advantage of being in the top five in the first place. I wish this this would be a very good season for the Bengals to have the amount of draft capital and picks that they had in 2019. Um, unfortunately, they, they do not because they would have been able to set themselves up pretty nicely to improve their football team. Uh, any, any other uh, questions that you see, John, that we need to get to before we pop on out of here? I see an interesting one from Loki. I guess we can end on that, but uh, any others from you that you're seeing there? Yeah, I almost like died in that last question. I had to cough so bad. I had to mute myself, but um, <laughs> yeah, Loki has been pestering us about why are we Bengals fans? Um, I think, I think you've told your story before about you growing up in the eighties and watching those Super Bowl teams. I, I became a Bengals fan, I guess. Um, I think the last year, I think, no, it was Marvin Lewis's first year. John Kidna was starting that. I like the uniforms and my best friends are Bengals fans. And I guess it's kind of stuck ever since. And you're, you lived, you're from the area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was born here. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Just, you know, my, my, I have an older brother who's eight years older than me. He was really into them. Their first Super Bowl. Um, I was just being born around that time, actually a little bit after that Super Bowl. And, uh, you know, there was there was a player on the team named Anthony who was very good. And they made the Super Bowl right when I kind of started getting into football in 1988 when I was about five or six years old. And then from there, it just kind of continued to grow. I watched a lot of really poor football. And by the way, when you live out in Southern California and you're raised out here, it is very difficult, especially in the early, early days of Sunday ticket, it, it was very difficult to watch Bengals games on the regular, uh, at least te- full television uh, deals. Sometimes you had to get them on the radio or sometimes you had to just watch highlights. It was very difficult to, especially when they weren't good, they weren't on the TV very much. So um, Sunday ticket's been a, a little bit of a blessing, at least geographically for me. But um, yeah, so since that's, and then I've just, accelerated the, the Bengals sickness by writing and podcasting and doing all of that. So that's a little bit of the background there. Uh, I guess that's a good way to end it, John. Thanks for oh, just, just real quick though, yeah. because I feel like we've got a couple questions in the comments about this. There are a handful of head coaching vacancies still available. If Marvin Lewis was considered for one of them, where would yeah. you like him to go? Well, let's see. Um, Jacksonville is off the table now. Right. Mm-hmm. So what what's available? The the Chargers, the Chargers, the, the Lions, Lions, Houston, right? Houston. Because uh, I think I think Atlanta is going with Arthur Smith and the and the Jets just hired Robert Sala. So Yeah. Um, you know, I know he's interviewed with Detroit and I know he's interviewed with Houston. Um uh, you know, 
Los Angeles intrigues me because he's got a, a franchise quarterback already in place there. Um, and so he could maybe just kind of work. And that team ended up, I think they ended up seven and nine last year, right? They scraped together some mm-hmm. wins to end the season there. So, you know, I think if you add a few pieces, he's got a team that's that could be, you know, in, in contention. Um, it's a tough, tough division with Pat Mahomes and Raiders are, you know, even though they kind of keep stumbling over themselves, they're scrappy. They always are around eight wins now. And, um, you know, you've got Denver, who knows what they're doing, but uh, tough division there. But I, I think I might like to see him, you know, with the Chargers. That ownership there is a little questionable <laughs> as well, uh, as is the Lions. And then, the, the you know, Houston's been kind of a little bit of a mess on that front too. So, you know, I'd like to see him go somewhere where there's a little more stability in, in the front office. But I guess just as we sit here now, because the quarterback is in place for a long time, it appears I would go with the Chargers. Yeah, and I know we have people saying that he's perfect for the Lions, and I guess and along that same vein, he would be good for the Texans just to bring stability to either of those. So that, that's what makes sense, and he's and you know he should be in consideration for them. But also, I agree with you. Like I, I want him to go to a place that has the quarterback and has a front office that's willing to spend for agency just to see how he does. Like I, I feel like the Chargers can get somebody better than Marvel Lewis, and I think they're kind of set on or they have their eyes on Brian Dabble, who's the offense coordinator for the Bills, but. I would love to see Lewis, who I think is still a good head coach, you know, get a chance at an organization that actually tries and, and gives him the, the the keys to success there. So, yeah, yeah. I, I would like to see him with Los Angeles. Do you, do you think he do you think he gets a job this year? No, I, I think if he gets a job, it's a, it's, a, it's a defensive coordinator. But there was like he gets a one interview or two, but I, 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 it's not going to be this year. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think so either. I don't think so either. I'd also be interested to see him as a head coach of a of a uh, decent college program. See how he does from the recruitment aspect and and all of that. That would be interesting to see. I, I do think he deserves another shot somewhere though. Um, at a relatively whether it's in the pros or a high profile college gig, I think I, I just would like to see what what those results would be. I guess kind of a little bit of an experiment. To, to, I don't know if an observational experiment or whatever, but um, you know is what it is let's let's bounce on out of here we've gone long we tried to field it to as many questions as we could thank you so much for uh sending them our way in so many different fashions we try and shoot this broadcast out to a lot of different avenues so you're able to get in contact with us we try and get to as many questions as possible but thank you for that john um have a good weekend man first first listener questions live of the of 21 yeah happy mlk day to you as well and happy long weekend to all everyone listening out there yeah, absolutely. Happy MLK Day, and everybody enjoy your long weekend. Hopefully, it's, it's a long weekend for you. 